reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6 and 7. So this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. Our God, you know that I feel myself totally inadequate to the task of preaching on the Lord's Prayer, on this prayer that your Son gave to us. So I ask that right now, as I come to the end of myself, that you would use this time, that you would use these words to help us know and to see Jesus more clearly and to pursue you more passionately in prayer. We give you ourselves, we give you this time and ask for your work to be done. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine for a moment that you've been given the location of a buried treasure. You've been told that this treasure is so immense, it's so valuable, that if you had this treasure, it would change your life, and it would even change the lives of people around you. You've been told where it is, and you've been given all the tools that you need in order to go and get it. How tragic, how sad would it be if you said, oh, that's great, but I'm just going to watch some YouTube videos instead. There is that treasure waiting to be collected, and yet you find yourself given to something else. And there that treasure remains buried and of no value to you or to anyone around you. We'd say, that's so sad, that's so tragic. And yet, that's how most people treat the practice of prayer. That's how most of us treat the practice of prayer. You see, God is a wellspring of goodness. In God is everything that you could need. Everything that you lack is found in him. And God has actually said to us, I want you to come into my presence. I want you to bring your requests. I want you to make known to me your needs. And I will meet you. I will answer you. And we say, I've got something else to do instead. You see, given how great our need is and how powerful and generous God is, It is shocking how little we pray, and I include myself in that. Now, we are in 
the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter five through seven. This has been our focus for a few months here at Reality. And today we come to the Lord's Prayer. And what I want you to see is as we've been learning about discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, the verses that Jasmine just read, are literally at the very center of the Sermon on the Mount. There's just as many verses before it as there are after it. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, as he's teaching about discipleship, about what it means to follow him, it's as if he's saying, the very center of life for my disciple is following God in prayer. It's communing with him. Everything that we believe as Christians, everything that we're supposed to do as those who are followers of God comes together in prayer and talking to God in communion with him. And so this subject is at the very heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, some of you here today identify as Christians. And so this is a helpful and a needed reminder for what it's like to pray. Some of you, though, are here and you do not identify as Christians. You're here exploring, thinking about the Christian faith. Well, this is a great sermon for you because God is saying, in effect, the very essence of knowing me is prayer. And so we get to consider how important, how revolutionary that would be in our own lives. And so today, my challenge is to preach on these verses. Books upon books have been written on prayer and the Lord's Prayer. I'm just doing one sermon. And so this can be nothing but an overview, an introduction. But here's the outline for today's sermon. The first thing I want to show you is the foundation for prayer. Then we'll see how do you pray practically? How do you even get started? And then third, confidence that we need in prayer. So a foundation for prayer, how to pray, and then the confidence that you need in prayer. So first, what is the foundation? A foundation is something you build on. A structure can only be as stable as the foundation upon which it's built. And Jesus says the foundation for prayer is right there in verse 9. Let me read it to you. Jesus teaching, and he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. That's it. That simple phrase is the foundation for prayer. Our Father in heaven. And I want to drill down deep with you into that foundation right now. What does it mean that when you pray, you're praying to your Father who is in heaven? So let's just take that phrase bit by bit. First, what does it mean that God is your father? How does that impact the way we pray? Well, two things. It means access and it means closeness. Access and closeness. Access. Like many of you, over the past year, I work from home much more frequently than I ever have before. And Zoom is a regular part of my life. And something that happens to me probably every day as I'm having meetings from home is I'll be there on a Zoom call. And as I'm looking at my screen, I can see what's happening behind me and the door is propping open. But I can't see a person because she's too tiny. <laughs> my little daughter, Esme, is pushing the door open. And as many of you on Zoom calls with me have experienced, she waddles over, lifts her hands, I pick her up, and she, in the most polite way possible, Zoom bombs. She interrupts the meeting. And it's, for me, a chance to say, hey, this is my daughter Esme. And when that happens, when she comes in, interrupting a meeting, interrupting something important, I never say to her, 
Esme, can't you see daddy's in a meeting? Why don't you make an appointment and I'll see if I can squeeze you in later? I never say that. When she comes into my presence, what happens? I am overjoyed to see her. And it doesn't matter what she's interrupting. She has access at any time, in any condition she's in, and no matter what she's interrupting, at the end of the day, I'm just thrilled to see her as she wants to be in my presence. Jesus says, when you pray, you are saying, our Father. You have access to God the way a child has access to their parent. You don't have to make yourself presentable. There's never a bad time. You have access any time and in any condition that you're in to come boldly and gladly into the presence of God, your Father. What makes that presence, that access possible? Well, it's the gospel. It's Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who's actually, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because of his sacrifice, to be a Christian actually means you become a son or daughter of God. You actually are brought into his family. You're given a seat at his table. You are adopted because of what Jesus has done. And that's why, by the way, when Christians pray, they always end their prayers saying what? In Jesus' name. That's not just a formula. That's not just sort of a code that we use. That's the whole foundation of prayer. Because when you pray in Jesus' name, what you're saying to God is, I have a right to be here. I have access to you as my father because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus lived a perfect life, because Jesus died in my place, I now stand covered in his perfection. And we get to come boldly into the presence of God. We have access. But not just access, closeness. If God is your father, then that means that the essence of the Christian life is presence, not performance. You see, if God is your boss, then the relationship that you have with him is very transactional. He asks you to do certain things, and if you do them, you get a reward, you get a salary, you get blessing. But if God is your father, then what he wants is not performance, he wants presence. He doesn't want just the stuff that you do for him. He wants you. And so prayer then is not about going through the motions in order to click a box and say, I prayed. But it's about getting more of your father. It's about intimacy. It's about closeness. It's about relationship. And so Jesus says, when you pray, the foundation, everything else you build on is remembering that God is your father. Access and closeness, intimacy. But notice, Jesus doesn't just say, our Father. He also says, our Father, who is in heaven. And that's really important. Some of you, and I know this, some of you have had dads that have not been all that they should have been. Your relationship with your human fathers is broken. And in that relationship, you were not given a vision of loving fatherhood. God the Father is not like that. He is God who is in heaven. He is unlike even the best of dads that exist in this world. And what we think of as God as Father in heaven, to say he's the one who's in heaven is to think about God's greatness and his goodness. So on one hand, God's greatness. That is to say, if he's in heaven, 
That means he has unrivaled power. There is nothing that's too hard for him. He is almighty. He's all-knowing. He's outside of time. In prayer, you talk to someone for whom nothing is too hard. There's a story in the book of Genesis in chapter 18. There's a woman named Sarah. And for all her life, she had been trying to conceive in order to have a child. And she now is at the point where she's well past the age during which a woman would normally be able to get pregnant. But some angels come along. Sarah doesn't know that it's an angel. And some angels come along and they say to Sarah, you're going this time next year, you're going to have a child. You're going to be pregnant. And Sarah laughs. It's a scary thing to laugh in the presence of an angel. But she laughs, not mocking them, but almost in disbelief. That can't happen. There's no way. It's almost as if she's saying, I've given up even on praying for that. I know that it's not possible. And then the angel says to her, is there anything that's too hard for the Lord? Is there anything that's too hard for the Lord? And I think as I think about Matthew 6 and what Jesus is saying, he's your father, but he's in heaven. He's the king of the universe with all power and all might. Do my prayers reveal that I think there are some things that are just too hard for God? Do I pray big, bold prayers to a God for whom nothing is impossible? So God in heaven, greatness, but also goodness. He's not just great, but he's good. He's not just filled with power, he's loving. He's not just full of justice, but he's merciful. He's not just transcendent, he's personal and he's intimate. And so when we think about God, our Father, access, closeness, anytime, however you are, you come boldly into his presence because he's great, filled with power and good, totally loving. Jesus says that's the foundation for prayer. God is your Father and he's in heaven. Now, if you really believe that, what would it mean? What would it do? How would it change your prayer life? The story is told of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great had a general in his army. And this general's daughter was getting married. Now, as you know, Alexander the Great was very rich. And so as this man's wedding, uh, the, his daughter's wedding approached, the general went to Alexander and said, hey, as you know, my daughter is getting married. And I'm asking you, would you be willing to pay for her wedding? And Alexander the Great says, sure. On this occasion of your family's happiness, you're a great general. I'm really thankful to you. I'd love to pay for your daughter's wedding. Just give the steward the bill and we'll make sure it's paid for. So the man goes off, writes down how much the wedding is going to cost, gives it to Alexander's steward, and the steward looks at the piece of paper and says, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. So makes his way back to Alexander and says, do you see how much this man is asking for you to pay for the wedding? Do you really want to do this? It's such a large sum. And Alexander says, pay it. Pay the bill. Because don't you see this man pays me a compliment? By asking me something so large, such a vast sum, he declares me to be both rich and generous. He declares that he believes me to be both rich and generous. Friends, if we were to listen into your prayer life, do your prayers reveal that you believe God is both rich and generous? 
that he is good and great, that you have access and you have closeness. Jesus is saying the foundation for prayer is our Father who is in heaven. Now, you say, great, but how do I do it? (laughs) How do I pray? And I'll be more brief here than I could otherwise be. Again, there's a lot in these verses. But how do we actually pray? This is an important question because some of you are saying, wow, that sounds good. I want to pray, but I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to pray. I think we can also acknowledge that for many of us, it's just hard to pray. We get distracted. Our minds wander. Sometimes we're bored. We just don't know how to do it or how to stick with it. The Lord's Prayer is the school of prayer. There's a lot in the Bible about prayer. It's not all here, but this is the place to start. And so if you want to learn how to be a person who prays, who communes with God, this is where Jesus says we start. Jesus in the school of prayer. Now, let me briefly outline to you two ways that the Lord's Prayer can shape your prayer life. The first is we get to pray this prayer verbatim. We've already done it earlier. We prayed the Lord's Prayer during our service. We do it every week. And so the first thing that I would commend to you, if you say, I don't know how to pray, I don't really pray, I struggle with prayer, my first encouragement to you is pray the Lord's Prayer just as Jesus gave it to you. These are divine words to be prayed back to God. Memorize it. Use it as a starting point in prayer. Can I also say, some of you have been Christians for a long time. But if you're honest, you're in a season where God feels absent, God feels distant. You've been struggling in prayer. Use the Lord's Prayer. Use these words when you can't find your own. You know, sometimes for some of us, suffering is so real. Suffering is so intense that we can't even string together a couple of words as we come into the presence of God. Well, God has given you a prayer to use, the Lord's Prayer. So use it verbatim. Use it exactly as Jesus has given. But you can also use it as a pattern, not just verbatim, but also as a pattern. If you look at the prayer, again, this is verses 9 through 13 of Matthew 6. What you'll notice is that in the prayer, there are six petitions, six requests. The first three have to do with God and his glory. Let me read them to you. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is Jesus saying, when you start in prayer, we focus on God, not on self. The beginning of prayer is always remembering who God is and his glory and greatness in the world. Why do we start there? Is it because God just wants his ego stoked? No. It's because your greatest need is a recognition of who God is. You see, before you run into God's presence with your laundry list of requests, what Jesus is saying is actually what your soul needs is a bigger vision of who God is a bigger glimpse of the glory and the greatness and the goodness of God. So real prayer always starts with adoration, with praise, with a Godward focus. But then we pray for our own needs, and it's not wrong to pray for our own needs. We must do so. So the remaining three petitions have to do with the disciple and the things that they need in this world. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we have been forgiven, and we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? 
There's things that you need in this world, and so pray for them. Daily bread, that is a way of describing anything we need for life in this world. Not just food, but as Martin Luther points out in his great summary of the Lord's Prayer, he says, this is a prayer for everything that is necessary for the preservation of life, food, health, good weather, house, home, relationships, government, peace, and the list could go on. It's a way of saying to God, everything we need comes from you. And we're fully dependent on you for everything we need today. Give us our daily bread. But then he goes on to say, and forgive us our debts. That's confession. That's saying to God, we know that we haven't been what we should be. We have fallen short of your glory. We have sinned against you. We've broken not just your law, but your heart. And so it's praying for forgiveness. And then also protection. There is so much in this world that's hard. So much suffering that threatens to overwhelm us. And so Jesus says, pray for protection from evil and from the evil one. I ask you, how much of your prayer life, how much of my prayer life reflects the fact that life is really hard? It's almost like a battle, like a war. Pete Gregg, in his really helpful book on prayer, says this. Love this quote. The reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Basically saying, look, life's hard, the spiritual battle is real, the struggle is great. Don't domesticate prayer. But recognize that it's part of the way in which, in the midst of struggle and challenge and temptation, we experience and pursue the very presence of God. So, so much more I can say, but that's the outline. How do we pray? Use the Lord's Prayer verbatim or use it as a pattern in which that shape of starting with God and his glory and moving to your needs, you add your own words to that model and you begin conversing and communing with God in prayer. How to pray. But last, we need confidence in prayer. We know the foundation. We've been told something about how to pray but now we need confidence. Here's why. Prayer is hard, especially when it feels like God isn't there. And there are seasons in life, maybe you're in one right now, where you feel like you're talking and you feel like no one is listening. Psalm 42 actually describes this. It's a condition called spiritual depression in which you feel like God is distant. Psalm 42 gives the image of a deer who has gone down to a stream of water looking for a drink, but when the deer gets there, the riverbed is all dried up. And the author is saying, that's what my prayer life feels like. I'm coming to God, I'm seeking him, I'm pursuing him, and no one's home, seemingly. That's really hard. And so what kind of confidence do we need to persevere in prayer in those seasons? when God feels far away? The answer comes not from the Lord's Prayer, but from what we heard read from Matthew chapter seven. Let me read to you these couple of verses, which to me are fundamental in how I think about what we're doing when we pray. Listen to what Jesus says. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Think with me for a second. 
Just let that image sink in. Little kid comes over to you and says, hey, can I have a piece of bread? And you get a rock and you give it to them and the kid chomps down. That is evil. That is incomprehensible. No person of any humanity would do something like that. And Jesus goes on to say, well, if your son asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? Again, incomprehensible. And then look at what Jesus says. If you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, if it's incomprehensible that you would not do everything you can to give good things to your kids, then so much more so God in heaven, longing to give good gifts to his children. If you ask and you say, yeah, but (laughs) I've asked. That's the problem, Bishan. I pray and I ask and I ask God for things and nothing happens. Now, let me say, and I want to say this as gently as I can, Unanswered prayer is one of the biggest mysteries of spiritual life, one of the hardest mysteries of spiritual life. And I know that there are some of you who have been praying for things and asking God for things, and you do not understand why God isn't answering in the ways you want or in the time that you want. And I know that that's really hard. I know that for some, it really is shaking to experience unanswered prayer. But here's what we have to remind ourselves of. If there's unanswered prayer in your life, it must be because at some level, either for God to answer what you're asking in the way that you want or in the time that you want, isn't ultimately good for you. And I know that's hard to hear. But if this passage is true, if what Jesus is saying is real, then it must mean that at some level, God our Father knows what is good and to answer that prayer in the way or in the time that you're asking isn't for your ultimate good. The church that we've come from in New York, the founding pastor always used to say this, in prayer, God will always give you everything that you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. In prayer, God will always give you everything that you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. Jesus is saying, your father in heaven longs to bless you more than you long to be blessed. And so you trust in prayer. You say, well, that just sounds like something a preacher says. How can I know that? How can I know that God wants to bless me? Because he already has. He's already given you the very best thing, the greatest thing that he could have ever given. He's given you his son. He's given you the Lord Jesus. Let me read to you. This is Romans chapter eight and verse 32. Paul, the apostle writing, he says this, he, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. How do you know that God will withhold nothing good from you? Because he's already given you the greatest thing. He's already given you Jesus. The greatest possible gift that God could give to his people has already been given. The person of Jesus, access to God through Jesus. Friends, don't you know 
that there's only one phrase of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus ever said verbatim himself. And it was this, thy will be done. On the night before Jesus' death, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's about to happen, that he's going to be betrayed by his friends. He's going to endure physical and emotional and spiritual agony, unlike any person in this world has ever experienced. And so Jesus, in prayer that night, in prayer, says to God, if it's possible, please take this cup away from me. He's saying, I do not want to endure what I'm about to endure. Take this cup. And yet, not my will, but your will be done. And on that day, Jesus prays part of the Lord's prayer, saying to God, your will be done. And for Jesus, that meant death on the cross, the substitute dying in place of his people. And because Jesus on that day was able to say to God, your will be done, we can say on this day to God, your will be done. I may not always understand it. I may not always know, God, what you're up to. Sometimes I may be filled with sadness or anger because of what I see you doing in the world. But I know ultimately that what you're doing is for my good because I see the good that you've given me in Jesus Christ. He's the confidence that we need in prayer. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so we long to be a praying church. We're gonna commit to God in prayer week again in a fresh way. Prayer is an essential part of our church, not just because we want things from him, we want him. And we have access because of Jesus. And so let's root ourselves in Jesus now as we come to this time of response. Please pray with me. Our God, thank you for the words that Jesus has given about prayer. But Lord, we ask now for transformation. We don't wanna just be informed. We don't wanna just learn about prayer. We wanna be a praying people, a praying church. So help us now to experience Jesus, to encounter him as we together grow in our access and our closeness to you, celebrating your greatness and your goodness. We thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.